Hey, good morning. I'm uh, out here on the Passaic River on a beautiful day with my friend John Hannig, who's going to come and, and uh, read the scripture for the day in just uh, a couple of moments. You'll, you'll see in a few moments why um, we chose this kind of water setting for uh, today's message. Happy Mother's Day. I hope, uh, I hope it's a great one and a uh, chance to spend time with people that you love. My thoughts are certainly with my own mom and I really appreciate all the ways that y'all reached out, so many of you. Um, as many of you know, my mom passed away uh, about two weeks ago now um, to COVID-19 actually in a nursing home. Um, no one loved Jesus more than my mom and uh, I'll tell you what, I know she's with them. Um, we talked often about uh, what that moment would be like, and she's experiencing it now, so uh, I know I'll see her again. I'm um, looking forward to uh, today's message, and I want to start off with an old story. I guarantee you've already heard it, but I just can't resist. It's an old story about a, uh, a Catholic priest and uh, a rabbi who loved to fish, and uh, one day they invited their Baptist minister, Bud, to come out and go fishing with them, and um, they're out in the middle of the lake and they're having a great time, three good friends, and uh, all of a sudden the Catholic priest says, um, you know, we're not too far from shore here. I'll be right back. I'm gonna run grab a, a sandwich for lunch. He uh, hops out of the boat and walks along the water to the shore. And a few minutes later, um, a little bit later, he comes walking back across this little spit of water and hops back in the boat with a sandwich. His rabbi buddy goes, um, man, that looks good. I'll be, I'll be right back too. And he hops out of the boat. He walks along the water on top of the water and disappears behind the trees into this uh, little restaurant thing on the shore. Comes back, walking across the water, hops back into the boat. At this point, the Baptist minister, having watched this and looking at the sandwiches, goes, um, man, that does look good. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be right back too. And he hops out of the boat and sinks like a rock. And the priest turns to the rabbi and says, uh, you think we should have told him where the rocks are? I, I, know, I know it's old, but <laughs> it's still a good one. Um, walking on the water. I, uh, I had visions and even mentioned to John I might give it a try this morning, but I think maybe not. It's, it's not something that's been done in human history very much, but it has happened uh, certainly a couple of, couple of times. And this morning, um, I want to uh, look at a passage where a human and uh, another human slash fully God actually pull it off. So John is going to read that passage for us now. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, 
walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me! Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Man, uh, I'll tell you what, I think there's at least a half a dozen sermons in that passage, but this morning we only have time for one, and um, I want to look at uh, primarily um, a number of truths about Jesus that just come flying out of that passage and his encounter with his disciples and the crowd before that. And, th and then I want to take a brief look at the end at a couple of aspects of Peter. Um, Jesus and Peter, obviously the, the main characters of this story, and um, four things in particular that uh, just come right out of that passage about who Jesus is. And, and they, they really end up being life truths that I think that as we latch on to a relationship with Christ, we can accommodate into our lives as well. The, the first thing about Jesus, which is so apparent in that story, is um, that Jesus always keeps his relationships and his relational priorities very clear. Um, he doesn't get pushed around by any group of people ever. And he keeps in very many ways the main thing, the main thing when it comes to relationships. Um, all relationships were important to him. Uh, he had time for everyone, but he really kept his priorities um, very clear. Um, so picture the scene. It's in Matthew uh, 14, 22, the passage that John just read. There was Jesus, there were the disciples, there was the crowd, which by the way, the crowd from the passage before the one that John just read is the feeding of the 5,000. So there were 5,000 people around Jesus. Um, and, and, and then of course there was the heavenly father in heaven watching this whole scene un, uh, uh, happen. Um, the disciples, I, I mean, obviously they were Jesus' inner core, inner circle, and, and they were pumped up on adrenaline, man. They had just been part of, not just witnessed, but been part of an incredible miracle. A couple of fish, a couple of loaves of bread, and, um, and had fed 5,000 people with tons left over. I mean, it was a, it was a supernatural event, a, a miracle that Jesus, and, and I'm sure they wanted to just kind of remain, bask in the glory of that, um, rethink it through and tell the story a hundred times, let alone the fact that it was beginning to get dark and there was a storm on the horizon and these guys being who they were knew a storm coming on when they saw it. Um, verse 22, King James Version, if you get a chance, read the King James Version of the passage John just read. There's some interesting unused words in there that I think really make the point well. King James Version um, it starts off with the word straight away. Straight away, uh, uh, Jesus makes, or again in the King James Version, it, it, they use the word constrained, like um, was very emphatic here, uh, that the disciples were to get in the boat and leave now. You know, again, it was like nighttime was coming on, there was a storm a brewing, um, they had just experienced so much, and um, and, and, uh, and, and yet Jesus was very emphatic. He wanted them away now. So off they went into the dark. 
And then he turns to the crowd, the 5,000 people still buzzing about what had just happened, maybe expecting more. Wow, he just fed us. What tricks are he, will he do next? What else will he give to us? You know what I mean? They were in no mood to leave and just disperse right away. Um, but scripture is very clear. Jesus says in, in uh, verse 23, after he sent the disciples on, he dismissed the crowd. He sent them away and so off they went and there was a lot of commotion with that leaving Jesus disciples out in the water um, it's turning dark the 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 crowd dispersed and away and looking around Jesus was now all alone scripture records verse 24 he went up into the mountains scripture says apart to pray and there he was alone um, but he wasn't fully alone it was just so evident that he was he was determined to spend some time with his heavenly father praying. So the first truth about Jesus, which comes out of this passage, is he, like he always does, keeps his relational priorities as they should be. And for Jesus, those priorities were very clear, time with the father, time with his inner circle, disciples, family, time with the crowd. And and he never really wavered from that. Now, now think about us over these past bunch of weeks or maybe more so think about us in these weeks leading up to these last six or seven weeks you know we've been forced to kind of reorient and rethink through how we spend our time and who we spend our time with and in many ways we haven't had a choice in in the matter you know what I mean all so often when you think back about seven eight nine weeks ago our, our priority was just um, meeting the demands of all the crowds and of all the things pressing against us. And, and, and then suddenly everything changed. We had to kind of stay in our houses, especially up here in, in North Jersey where the pandemic um, rages on in so many ways to this day. It, as, as tragic as this event has been, and it has been a tragedy on every level, um, if there's one silver lining in it, in the midst of just so much pain and and death and, and everything else, it has been that we've been forced to kind of rethink through what the main thing is in our lives. And, 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 and it's forced us, instead of spending so much time with the demands of the crowd and so much pressed upon us, we're spending time with our family. Um, we have the opportunity anyway to spend way more time with God, to reorient things, to flip them back up into a right priority where it is God, uh, our inner circle, and then the demands round about us. Or as one t-shirt I saw once, uh, I just thought said it even better. It said, my priorities, my three top priorities are, and number one, it said God, and then two, it said God, and three, it said God. You know what I mean? Um, Jesus had that clear. It was a life lesson that just came screaming out of this passage. Time with the Father, time with his inner circle, time with the crowd and the demands of that. Second life lesson about Jesus out of the story is Jesus always walks right in to our crisis moments. Um, when we're the most vulnerable, which we are right now, and in many ways we, we always are, Jesus comes striding into those moments even when we're not looking for them or expecting them. It was the middle of the night. It was, scripture says, the fourth watch of the night. It was the middle of the night. It was like 3 a.m. It was pitch dark. Um, there was a storm that had ensued. The boat was, was tossing. 
the winds were blowing. Um, scripture doesn't record that the disciples were so afraid of that. They were crusty old fishermen. You know, this was a storm, whatever, and they were heading off to where their master, where Jesus had told them to go. But what frightened them was what came next. They saw this guy who they didn't recognize because it was so dark um, walking across the water. And they just assumed it was a ghost because no human um, could ever walk on the water. Uh, Jesus is walking across the water, strolling across the rough sea, and he strode right into their 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 tossed around moment, their chaotic moment. I mean, maybe it wasn't a total crisis for them at the moment, but they were they were struggling with the wind and and all the rest. They were trying to navigate in the in the darkness. Um, Jesus could have stayed in that idyllic place that Matthew describes up in the mountains with his father. He could have waited till morning. He could have taken a long, peaceful nap. Um, wrapped up in a blanket after he prayed and spent time with the Father, but he chose not to do it. He chose to, to walk across right into the thick of it in that, in that storm. He came as he always did and as he always will for you, strolling right into our crises, into the chaos, into the danger. Jesus does that. It's the message, ultimately, of the incarnation. Jesus could have stayed in heaven. And, and why didn't he? He didn't because he loves you. He created you. He came to redeem you. It's the message of what Christmas is all about. And, and it's the message of John 1.14. John doesn't talk about the manger and the angels and all of that, the Christmas story, but John 1.14 has often been called the forgotten Christmas story. The word became flesh and made his dwelling, which literally means pitched a tent in your backyard so that he could be close to you. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And that's what he was about. He comes on the scene in the midst of, of uh, our most dark and difficult moments, in the midst of a worldwide pandemic, in the midst of losing a loved one, which so many of us have, um, in the midst of our quarantine where financially and other ways um, things are not certain about tomorrow. Jesus is there. No virus, no government mandate, nothing can separate us from the love of God. He is here tangibly, he's here spiritually, and he's right here. Jesus Christ, the hope of the world, comes striding into the crisis moments of our life. And we need to be watching for moments where he, where he does. And we need to be hopeful and expectant which leads to a third uh, life truth that I think we can get out of this passage. And it is this, it's that um, Jesus understands and empathizes with our fear and pain. Immediately in Matthew 14, 27, these words are recorded before any exchange between Jesus out walking on the stormy water and the disciples. He yells, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. You know, I mean, someone doesn't yell stuff like that to a, a group of people um, uh, unless they get it, unless they understand, unless they've experienced the same pain. Um, empathy is what Jesus is, is all about. And empathy has nothing to do with sympathy. Sympathy is feeling sorry for other people. Empathy is putting yourself in their shoes and understanding it uh, to the point that you can interact with them and be helpful. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid, be encouraged. Um, one uh, 
uh, commentary I, I, I read that kind of captures this. Be encouraged. I am here with you. I know you were afraid, but this uh, is something that I can control. I am stronger than this. And because I am, everything will be okay. Trust me. That's what Jesus said to the disciples. And it's what Jesus says to you and me as well. Another Bible commentator kind of grabs a hold of this. He write, wrote this, Jesus comes in crisis. When the limits of our human resource are reached and passed, he comes beyond our hope. Even when we don't expect him, he comes. And so he did for the disciples and so he does for you and me. As we struggle to maintain hope uh, economically, um, physically, and, and in so many different ways. We, we, we so quickly wonder where God is in the midst of this. And that's okay. That's like, that's normal to struggle and to doubt. And Jesus is okay with that, that he comes to us even in the midst of all that. He understands our fear and our pain. But he doesn't just stop there with empathy and with understanding. You know, when Lazarus died, uh, Jesus comes up to the tomb and it says Jesus wept. I mean, he had great empathy, great uh, understanding of the pain. And if that was the end of the story, um, so what? You know what I'm saying? Fact is for Lazarus, fact is for these disciples, fact is for you and me, he does something about it. Yeah, he feels our pain, but he, does, he certainly doesn't stop there. He moves through to healing and wholeness and victory, you know? And he demonstrates it here, a fourth life truth out of this story about Jesus, is Jesus gives us victory in the midst of the crisis. In the end, Jesus' victory is victorious. As uh, Bob Goff's book says as a title, love wins, you know? And in this case, love always wins. Jesus is love incarnate. Good always triumphs over evil eventually, even when it doesn't look like it will because Christ is involved and he is victorious. This fourth truth about Jesus would seem to me to be the most important one of all. It comes ringing through in the gospels again and again, as it does right here in, in Matthew 14. The power and the victory that comes with Jesus in the midst of the storm, that power is real and that victory is sure, even when it doesn't look like it. And so it seems to me that power and that victory demands a response. And nobody understood that more impulsively than Jesus or than Peter. You know what I mean? And this is such a classic Peter moment of what happens next. Peter was coming to know that power. It was transforming his life. He had seen Jesus do crazy things and outrageous things. He had heard Jesus say unbelievable things that had sunk right down into his into the, the center of who Peter was, into his very soul. His powerful voice, he heard that voice out on the water and he recognized it. And so in verse 28, Peter calls out, wanting to experience this power for himself. And he wasn't totally sure, he kind of hedged it a bit, where he says, Jesus, if it's really you, um, but then he kind of, it's almost like he caught himself and he yells, command me to come to you on the water now. It's like he's saying, I've been watching you, Jesus, and I am determined to go all in here. I, I want to walk on the water like you. I want to experience life as you're experiencing. I want to do the impossible. I want to experience you not just here 
in my heart, although I have, and I appreciate that, and not just here intellectually as important as that is, um, I want to experience you in a tangible way. I want to walk where you walk. I want to come. To which Jesus yells back one word. The Greek word for the one word Jesus yells back is elthe in the Greek. Um, it's very rare, that word. And the word is come. That's the translation, come. That word only appears twice in all of the Bible, in that version of come um, in the Greek. And Jesus yells it back. It's very emphatic. It's like demanding. It's like, dude, do it. And to which, to which Peter had a millisecond after Jesus said that to make the move. You know, if he paused, if he thought about it, if he was rational, he wouldn't have swung the leg over the boat. But in that millisecond, you, you can bet the second Jesus finished come, a millisecond later, Peter swung his leg over without thinking about it. And walk, he did. Listen, we are in the midst of a moment like we've experienced none other. And we're moving into a totally new reality. Um, it's not going to be easy, and it's not going to be all bad. Um, there are many wonderful, hopeful things on the horizon. But the fact is, things will never be the same. And the fact even more so is, is that God is doing a new thing, as he always does. Our God is not a static God. He is always taking what is and moving into the new. And into that new um, involves some corresponding chaos, um, strides Jesus in power and victory. And he strolls right in unexpectedly, and he strolls in, um, in, a, in very tangible ways. And so we, like Peter, need to do exactly what Peter did, which is first ask Jesus, um, he asked him, like, can I come be with you? You know, where you're going, I want to be, that we would reach out to him in prayer and, and tell him, I want to be all in with you, Jesus, and to be where you are. We need to ask, and then secondly, we need to act. Again, Peter didn't think, or him and ha, he jumped out of the boat. I think that's the key moment, over the edge of the boat and in the water. Whatever happened next, happened next, you know? And what did happen next was Peter had to ask and call out to him again. You know, he cried out to him, please, please save me. And Jesus reached out in power, and again in victory, and rescued him. I love the verse, and you know it well. Forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal, the prize, God's heavenly calling to Jesus Christ himself. What is it that you and I need to leave behind? What is it that you and I need to strain toward? What is it you and I need to press on towards in this new reality that is coming our way that is potentially very exciting? As we do, um, we need to stay close to him. And again, Peter did. You know, as the waves uh, twirled around him and as he began to sink down a bit, he cried out, Lord, save me. And, and Jesus did. And he will for you. And he does for us. Always.
And so, may you and me in the midst of this historic moment, this changing event that we're in the midst of, may we keep chasing after the relationships that matter the most. And may we keep our priorities straight. May we trust Jesus to come strolling into our crisis moments because he always, always will. May we always trust him with our broken hearts and, and to know that he feels our pain, but he doesn't stop there. May we, may we trust him to move through our pain into victory and to hold on to us in power and to trust him and trust the fact that he is stronger than the things that we fear and struggle with the most. And more than all of that, may we move with him into this totally new world. And may we have courage to stay close to him, especially in the context of the church, which is way beyond just a building. It's a spiritual connection. We are brothers and sisters in Christ here on this earth and all the way into heaven. And when he says, and he surely will come, may we have the courage to respond and to move a millisecond after he says that, to not think about it, but to do it and to do it together. And as we walk with him and things look bleak, may we have the, the wherewithal to cry out to him, Lord, save us, and to know that he always will. May we experience his embrace and his peace and his presence. And may we, at the end of the day, as the disciples did when it was all said and done, the story that John just read to us out of Matthew 14, you can just picture them there in the boat, Peter dripping wet, blown away at all they had just seen. And scripture says, Matthew says, they worshiped him. Like it continued to sink in that Jesus was all he claimed to be. And he backed it up. 100% human like them, but fully God. May we be worshiping people and to continue to do that in the days ahead. Let's do that now. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for Jesus. Father, for your gift. Jesus, for you coming and for rescuing us as you came out of heaven into that hot, dusty place the night you were born as you come striding into our lives, broken and hurting, sinful and struggling, you come striding in and you understand and you fix what we cannot fix ourselves and we're grateful. And Holy Spirit, we see what you're doing here. You're taking what was and making it new. You're advancing the kingdom and the new day is on the horizon. And we are determined to step into that day. Give us courage. Give us strength. Give us patience. Keep us together in unity, even though we can't even be in the same room together. It doesn't matter that we are the body of Christ. We are the church. May your kingdom come here on earth as it already is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.